Welcome to this sermon from Silver Lake Baptist Church. Our mission is to celebrate the greatness of God with all we are for the joy, hope, and renewal of our community. We are so glad you have chosen to listen to our message. We pray you will be blessed by your time with us today. Well, we made it through to a new year. Praise God. And of course, you have time to think about all the time you spend with, you know, the family at gatherings and gatherings with friends. You know, I start to imagine a little bit how some of those meetings went. At first there was excitement and then some nervousness. Eventually conversations and attitudes towards uh, many topics could take an uneasy turn, make some uneasy. <clears throat> Even our own attitudes toward these people would become somewhat unchristian-like. Nah. <laughs> but allowing the Holy Spirit to take a hold of our thoughts and our actions towards these feelings change our direction. They change how we treated the situations. Have any of you ever felt uncomfortable around some people? How they behave or even how they talk? How they felt about things made you uneasy. When we're looking at like the uh, celebrations, thinking about all those big cities around the world that we saw during the New Year's celebration, some like Auckland, Melbourne, as they like to say, Tokyo, Seoul, Hong Kong, Dubai, Moscow, Cairo, Paris, London, Rio de Janeiro, New York City, Washington, D.C., Mexico City, Chicago, Denver, L.A., San Francisco, Seattle, Anchorage, Honolulu, and yes, Athens, Athens, Greece. With what we see and, of course, what we can imagine that goes on in all those cities, do we have a, a burden for those, in the, uh, those souls in those cities? Are we sometimes heartbroken for the things that go on in those cities? That's where we start today. And questions like, can we be like Paul in this situation? And do we know how to present the one true God in our lives? See, we watched Paul and his partners as they left Jerusalem to begin the journey to the uttermost parts of the world and everywhere. They went, <clears throat> when they, where they went, people got saved. And in each city, a church was established. Even though Paul and his team met resistance in every place. <clears throat> now the Apostle Paul is in Athens, Greece, it's an incredible city, even in Paul's time, at least for what I've seen. Among other things, Athens was the intellectual and philosophical capital of the world. A city filled with religion, and her people were a religious people. Paul saw the statues, idols, and the temples to every god known to man all over the city as he walked around it. Petronius, a member of Nero's court, once said, it's easier to find a god than a man in Athens. These people were so concerned with recognizing all the gods of the universe that 
just in case there were some out there that they didn't know or they didn't know about. They erected an altar dedicated to the unknown God. That one. The altar on the screen sits in a museum in Athens. The inscription on it reads, Agnostos Theos, or to the unknown God. With all their wisdom, with all their philosophy, and with all their religion, they still didn't know the one true God. One day, Paul shows up and tells these people, tells the people of Athens, I'd like to tell you about this unknown God. For you see, the God you don't know, I know personally. My hope is to motivate us to do what Paul did in Athens. And that's be willing to point the way to the one true God. We're going to be in Acts 17, verse 16 through 34 today. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for what you supplied to us in this new year. We supplied nothing but hope and joy to you because that's all we can rely upon, Lord. And we thank you for the many blessings that you gave us, the time that we spent with our families and friends, and the times that we were able to reflect on what you did give us. And that was your son, that you brought him into this world to be our savior. And we thank you so much for the time that we're able to reflect on that. And, and of course, naturally, the new year as the promises that we can think of and uh, we hope for. But all that hope is for not unless we have Jesus in our lives, Lord. And we know who you are in all of us, that we're able to supply that information to those who don't know you, Lord. And we thank you always in Jesus' name. Several things we need to ha- will need to happen for us to be like Paul in Athens. Number one, we must have a burden for those without Christ. Verse 16 says, While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. See, as Paul walked around the city, he began to realize the spiritual condition of the people, and he became deeply troubled by the idols he saw all over it. The more he sees, the more burdened he'd become. You and I must walk around and take notice of the spiritual condition of our city, of our country, and of our nation. And like Paul, we must take action. My brother-in-law and sister-in-law and the kids were visiting us for over the Christmas break and into New Year's. We traveled down to Seattle, took them down to Pike Place Market, and kind of just did some normal touristy things. But even there... I got to sit there and stand and kind of watch because we were waiting for my mother-in-law and, and, the, and the family to join us. And as we sat there, me and, me and William sat there and kind of observed people and how they acted to one another and how they spoke to one another. And we walked around some more and I kind of started thinking about this sermon. I was like, you know, this is exactly how Paul felt. He walked around the great city. But then, of course, you kind of realize things around you made you a little uncomfortable. Some of the smells that you smelt, you kind of knew what was going on. The attitudes that some people had, you know, just while hanging out with their families, it was a little hard to take. 
I didn't speak up at that moment. I really didn't need to. I just needed to watch and observe how, how would I react. Verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogues with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as the marketplace, as well as in the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, What is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, He seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They then took him and brought him to a meeting of the Aeropagus. I said this like 10 times in my head and I can't say it again. Aeropagus. Where they said to him, may we know this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest idols or latest ideas. The people of Athens loved to share, discuss, and debate philosophical thought, especially if it was something new. We all like to talk about something new. That's the first thing we say. Hey, what's new? So here we have Paul sharing Jesus with them, something they've not heard before, and they naturally wanted to know. They wanted to know more. Some get excited about this new ideology, this new teaching, the new God, and Paul's God set up a prime opportunity for him to share the gospel with these people of many gods. We here in the United States are surrounded by some of the same beliefs that Paul found himself in the midst of. Paul spoke to a crowd in the synagogue where, who were Jews and proselytes, people who were legalistic and self-righteous. Marketplace people. Ordinary, every kind, every, everyday kind of people. Yet they worshipped idols. The Epicureans in the crowd believed that all matter was eternal and had no creator. The Stoics were pantheists and believed God was in everything. These were the people of, the ancient, of ancient Athens. But doesn't it sound like the types of people who call the United States home today? See, in the U.S., we find self-righteous religious people. There are everyday people, materialistic pleasure seekers, as well as the intellectuals who deny God or the supernatural. We can find religious thought being brought in from every corner of the globe. Paul was bur- Paul, Paul's burden was so deep for the people that it caused him to take action. I wonder if when we look at lost people all around us as we were, are we as burdened as Paul was? Sometimes I think we are more bothered by than burdened for lost people. The second part of this is we must be willing to identify with our audience. Verse 22 says, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Arapagus 
and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. So here Paul shows them that he understands their culture and that they are a very religious people. (laughs) Paul studies the culture of that city in order to better understand the people. If you're going to witness to someone on a who has a different belief, don't you think you ought to know something about what they believe? So we can even look outside our own windows and see different churches and many apartment and houses. Do we think that they think and believe like we do? I can be assured that even here in this congregation, some think and have some differing understanding because last I heard, we're not a perfect people. Paul begins his sermon by identifying with the people, but then moved on to the next important thing that we must do. We must present the one true God. Paul shared four things, four things with this group. The first thing is, our God is the God of creation. Let's look at verse 24. Then God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives life and breath and everything else. From, the, from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. Do you notice that Paul started at the beginning? Who created it all? And how can we know for certain? So you understand that if you were wrong on this first point, you'll be wrong with everything that follows. The Epicureans didn't like what Paul was saying because they believed the matter was eternal and had no creator. The Stoics were pantheists and believed God was in everything. Rocks, trees, the river, etc. So this teaching of creation that Paul brought was something unacceptable to the majority. See, even creationism isn't popular today. And I say that creationism is becoming even more unpopular in the church because people don't want to be accountable to God. Evolution is taught as fact when it's not even a good theory. Scientific theory is supposed to be based on observable facts in controlled conditions. So Paul shows them that the unknown God is the one true God who created everything and he couldn't be housed in temples made by hands. He was too big, too self-existent, too God to be made in an image conceived in the imagination of man. The people of Athens didn't know this God, 
but they could know him if they would simply turn away from all their idol worship and believe on Jesus Christ. Because the second thing Paul wanted them to understand and we need to reveal is our God desires a personal relationship with his creation. Verse 27. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. I like that. He is not far from any of us. This idea didn't sit well with those who held to the Greek mythology. Since their belief, they believed their gods distanced themselves from man. They believed their gods wanted to, little to do with man or that mankind was just too much of a trouble, of a burden. See, what Paul said, and I repeat that, is that God who may be unknown to you is right here today. The almighty creator of everything didn't just make it all. He didn't make it all just to throw it out and then walk away from it. He's personally involved in every part of a person's life, right down to the smallest detail. Listen to this one. Jesus knows my name. Repeat that with me. Jesus knows my name. John 10, verse 2 and 3. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Jesus knows my needs. When you're down, repeat that. Jesus knows my needs. Matthew 6, verses 31 to 34. So don't worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. How many here could give testimony to a time when there was a need in your life and all you knew to do was pray and then you prayed? God supplied. Philippians 4, verses 19 and 20. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Jesus knows how I feel. And he knows everything. Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet he did not sin. He knows how you feel. I'll tell you something that you may not want to believe he really cares about you. Have you ever felt rejected? Guess what? He's been there. John 6, verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. 
Are you physically worn out? I've been there. John 4, 6. Jacob's well was there and Jesus tried, Jesus tried, tried, tired <laughs> as he was from the journey. Sat down by the well. It was about noon. How about all those who pulled at him <clears throat> looking for their miracle? Battling with the demons who possessed so many in his day must have been physically draining. Remember, Jesus was God, but presented in human flesh. He ate, he drank, he slept, and of course he bled. Question, are you sometimes disappointed in others? Have you been let down by those around you? Remember this, Jesus makes that Oh, you have little, little faith statement four times, four different times in Matthew. Why did you doubt? Why are you afraid? Why are you thinking that way? In the garden that night, he was arrested. Can't you guys just stay awake and pray for one hour? Is the burden you are carrying today more than you feel you can bear? Luke 22 41 and 42 and then again 44. He withdrew about the stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will be, not my will, but yours be done. Verse 44. And begin in anguish as he, he prayed more earnestly. His sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Let me tell you something. I want you to understand this. The one who was the bread of life began his ministry hungry. Forty days of fasting before he spoke his first words of hope. The one who was the water of life ended his ministry thirsty. As he hung on the cross, he said, I thirst. He was weary. He who was weary is, is rest. He said, I will give you rest. He who paid taxes is the king of the universe. The one who was called the devil cast out demons. The one who prayed is the same one who hears our prayers. He is the one who wept, yet he dries our tears. He was sold for 30 pieces of silver, yet he had only had, he's the only one who has the authority to redeem to buy back the world. Isaiah predicted that he would be led as a lamb to slaughter, yet he is our good shepherd. Folks, I want you to know that our God is a personal God. He cares. He loves and listens to us. I read about a man who was visiting a friend. He noticed a picture of Jesus on the wall. The eyes seemed to looked straight at him. It made him a little uncomfortable. So he moved across the room. The eye still appeared to be following him, staring right at him. He said, doesn't that make you uncomfortable? His friend said, nah, that picture tells me that he loves me so much, he can't keep his eyes off of me. 
This unknown God is the God of all creation. He's the God who desires to have a personal relationship with you and me. But I want to tell you, I also want you to know that our God is the God of repentance. Back in Acts 17, verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our beginning. As some of your own poets have even said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone. An image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. See, at this point, Paul steps on their toes a little bit. In verse 28, he even quotes the Greek poet Erastus who said that we are God's offspring. Then in verse 29 and 30, he shows them the foolishnesses of idolatry and mythology. In verse 30, it also says, God overlooked. What Paul was saying to those present is, God has been patient with you. Paul tells them, in the past, God has overlooked your ignorance. But now God has brought you more information and with this coming of new information there is more responsibility Paul says now that you have been given this information it is time for all of these gods to go away all these gods made by the hands of man to be done away with he tells them that because of this new information that God expects them to repent at this point in the message, I want everyone to understand that some, understand something that makes the mistake of don't make the mistake of thinking that you've gotten away with sin. And this goes for way, it goes for our thoughts too. Just because judgment hasn't come yet for something doesn't mean it won't. People who refuse to accept Jesus should be shouldn't be fooled into thinking that because they haven't seen hell that doesn't exist. Not only does not unknown God of all creation, this unknown God desires a real personal relationship with you. This unknown God is a God of repentance, but, the, but hear me and hear me well because if you don't repent, our God is a God of judgment. Verse 31 for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. And judge, a judge doesn't need the people in the courtroom to believe in him in order to have authority. He doesn't need them to believe that he has that authority to pass judgment. But when the judge passes sentence, you can appeal to a higher court. When you are found guilty of a crime, it won't matter who. It won't matter what you believe about the judge, and any argument of ignorance won't help. Many stand in our courts today, hating the judge, and filled with bitterness towards him. Many will appeal until they get a sympathetic judge to see things their way. 
But let me remind you that there's a coming day when all of mankind will stand before the judge of eternity, Jesus Christ, and his word will be final. Regardless of what you may think, there's no higher court to appeal to. His word is final. When Paul told this to the Athenians, he got three responses. Verse 32 says, When they heard about the res- resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, and other, but others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Demarius, and a number of others. When you and I give testimony to the one true God, we can accept, expect the same three responses. Some will laugh and mock. What are you talking about, Will? You know what I'm talking about. Some will procrastinate and say, not today, maybe later, maybe later we'll talk. Maybe. And some will believe. The truth is, they all heard the same message. We all heard the same message at one point or another. And they all had the ability to choose whether they would like to believe on Jesus or not. Some did, and some didn't. The point is, it wasn't Paul's persuasion that got them to buy into this Jesus philosophy. It was the power of God that convinced these people that Jesus was really God. You see, in this new year, let's try this, or at least try to remember. All we have to do is give people the truth and then trust God to do the work with that truth. You see, we, all we have to do is give him a chance. We don't have to do anything about it. It's for his glory and his glory alone. We're merely his instruments. We don't need to change his word and plan. Like my daughter likes to say, he's got this. He is God. We know that to be true. We trust it to be true. We just want our friends and family and those acquaintances who may have a question about it to hear, to hear those words. That's all he's given us is just a chance. Like Gail Sayers of the Chicago Bears needed just a few inches and a cloud of dust. All we need is that little bit of uh, instance to reach those who don't know who God is. And then there will be proof in their lives as well as ours. Our job is to be the shining instruments for which God uses and the tools for which he uses. We just need to trust him. Let's pray. Father, Lord, thank you again for this opportunity and the time that we were able to spend a little bit of time in your word, Lord, that uh, gives us an insight of what you had planned. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunities that are 
literally just outside our windows, outside our doors, that when we see things and we hear things that make us uncomfortable, it's because your spirit is stirring in us and saying, you know, we need to do something. We don't need to literally beat somebody over the head with anything, especially your word, Lord. Your word is sufficient enough. All we need to do is ask that you give us those opportunities to show who you are in our lives. And we ask this always in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, check out our website at www.silverlakebaptist.org.